We have uh, two Bible readings this afternoon. Uh, the first we find in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26, and then we'll turn to 1 John chapter 2. So Acts chapter 11, we'll start at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arise over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now if we can turn to uh, 1 John One John chapter two, and we'll read from eighteen to twenty-seven. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son 
has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Two more verses, is that right, Peter? Yeah, sorry. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. I'd like to look at Lord's Day 12 uh, this afternoon. This can be found uh, in your book of confessions, Lord's Day 12. It's on page 23. I'd like to read question answer 31 and 32, although this afternoon we're only going to be dealing with question answer 32. But again, just a reminder of what it means that Christ is the anointed one. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? We looked at this last Sunday, and we'll review that in just a moment. But the catechism answers in this way from the teaching of God's word. Uh, Christ is called the anointed because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. Our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. And here's what we're looking at this afternoon. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, and to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. So that's the Lord's blessing on his word this afternoon. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we know that your word is true, and we're so thankful that we have this truth. And we know that where your word abides in us, that we also abide in your Son. And that in this way, uh, we can uh, live before your face, confident of the anointing we have received through Jesus Christ, of the name that we bear as Christian. We pray that your spirit would be upon us, that, that we may consider what your word is teaching and that we may be strengthened, comforted, challenged, and if need be, converted, so that we may be brought under, under the rule of Jesus Christ. Lord, we look to you in this. We know that it is only your accomplishment, through the preaching of your word, through the power of the Spirit, that you will accomplish these tasks. We commit them to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, beloved,
congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're dealing with the names of Jesus. Uh, we're dealing particularly with his person and who he is. And, and there's two names. There's the name Jesus, which is his personal name. And we noted that that personal name is, is perfect, it's complete, it's powerful, and it is also personal. It's also purposeful. It's given to, to remind us of our salvation. So that's his personal name, but we also know his official name. His official name is Christ. Christ meaning anointed. Referring to the fact that he has official work to do. That he's been called from eternity through the Father and through the Holy Spirit to accomplish a particular purpose in space and time. And that purpose is our salvation. And we noted from uh, question answer 31 that this is something that originates with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He's been ordained by God the Father. And so when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came upon him, he entered into his official ministry. That that is the time in which he was functioning as our Messiah, as the Christ, to save us from our sins. But this afternoon we have the beautiful privilege of, of carrying on and considering, you know, that name of Christ, what does it mean for you? And that's what we're looking at, Jesus' qualifications and your salvation. And this afternoon we connect the, that official work of Christ, that, that wonderful uh, service that he offered to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, how that is connected and how you are connected with that. And so that's what we're looking at this afternoon of why you are called a Christian. And as we consider this, there's three things that I would like us to consider. First of all, the name. What does the name mean? The name of Christian. Secondly, the qualifications. What qualifications do you have? And thirdly, the contrast or the contest. I settled with contrast, but it is also a contest. And, and that's particularly why I wanted us to look at 1 John 2. Because immediately, being a Christian exposes us to a contrast. But we're going to begin with the name of Christian. Now, it's a familiar name. Uh, we use it frequently. We, we seem to understand what it is, but it hasn't always been there. In fact, we read in Acts 11 that at Antioch, uh, the disciples or the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, um, uh, uh, belonging to Christ. There have been other names that believers have gone by. Um, one of the frequent ones is brothers and sisters. Uh, uh, we use that today, but uh, the authors of the epistles would use that. When they addressed the church, they would speak of them as brothers and sisters in Christ. A very familiar one would be disciples. In fact, Acts 11 says that it's the disciples who were called Christians. Other names would be people of the way. And in uh, 1 John 2 verse 18, we're also called children. But what is the point of this name, Christian? At Antioch, they were given the name Christian. It simply means a follower of Christ. It was a name given by the Romans to Christians. Some regard it as, as being derogatory. There's no evidence that it was derogatory. Those who were followers of other people also had this name associated, not the name of Christian, but, but if... Uh, uh, they were followers of someone else. They added the, the anus onto the end, which is Christianus. So that just means follower of Christ, someone who is associated with Christ. A little later in Acts, actually, in Acts 26, 
uh, about 15 years later, after this time in Antioch, Paul now is in, in front of Agrippa and witnessing to him. And, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? It's indicating that that became the common name for those who were followers of Christ. And Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so the Heidelberg Catechism comes with this question, why? Why Christian? Why should we have this identity of Christian? Why are you called a Christian? And it answers very directly and very carefully, because by faith, I am a member of, of Christ. I am a member of Christ. I'm part of what the Savior is doing. I'm part of that vocation that God has given to Jesus of being the Savior, and I share in his anointing. What a covenant blessing it is. And, and so there's, there's the covenant behind this identity that, that whereas uh, as we're born, we're, we're under the name of the first Adam. We, we share in his likeness. When we are reborn uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we have a, a new name, the name of Christian. And, and so we've been united with Christ and we're under his headship. We, we receive our identity. He shares with us everything that belongs to him. Isn't that the marvelous reality of faith's union with Christ? You see, when, when we've been born again, we've been born of Christ, we've been born of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're adopted, and we'll get into that in the upcoming Lord's Days, we're adopted into the family of God. The Heidelberg Catechism says, by faith I am a member of Christ. Faith's union means that we belong to Christ. We're part of Christ. Christ is now part of us. What a glorious name to be called. I'm a participant in the union with Christ. That's what we confess this afternoon, the comfort that comes from belonging, like John 15, that the, 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 the branches are a part of the vine, and without the vine... We can do nothing, but in the vine, we can do all things in Christ Jesus. It means comfort in life and in death, in body and soul, because I belong to him. Now, to grasp the, the, the full import of this name, we must remember, what does it mean for Jesus? What does it mean for Jesus to have the name of Christ? It means that, that he's been ordained by the Father. Well, what does it mean for you to be Christ? It means that you've been ordained by the Father, that the Father from all eternity saw a point in time in life in which he was going to call you and bring you under the, the uh, authority, under the, the headship of Jesus Christ. You have been ordained by the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, for, for all of his perfection as a person, as the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit to perform his ministry. 
And the Holy Spirit was active in his ministry and he received that anointing. Hebrews 5 reminds us he didn't take up this position of his own authority, of, off his own bat. Though if anyone was entitled to that, he was, but he didn't. And neither do we. We've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. We've been called by the Father and equipped by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, his name being Christ, was officially named and equipped for that task. That's what's behind the name of Christian. You share in his anointing. You've been anointing. This is extraordinarily personal. Anointing equals identity. You have a, a mission and a ministry to engage in. And the work of the Holy Spirit with true faith. And with that, you have the qualifications. And not just the qualifications of a Christian. You have the qualifications of Christ. Of Christ. And so let's consider that secondly. In Christ, you are because this is what you've been anointed to, just like Jesus was. You have been anointed as prophet, priest, and king. You don't take away from who Christ is. You don't add to who Christ is. But you share in his anointing. What a beautiful image that says you share in his anointing. That when Christ was anointed, he had you as, as the elect, as, as those whom he would bring into the fold, as those whom he represented as our covenant head. Psalm 133 speaks of the blessing of, of the, the fellowship and the bond that we have in Christ Jesus. But he speaks of it as the, the oil that flows from Aaron's head. And you know, it doesn't just stay on the head, it goes to the ends of the beard. And from the beard, it drips onto its clothes. And so it is with Christ's anointing. It covers all of you who by faith have been brought under the headship of Jesus Christ. It flows. The anointing and the being ordained of God the Father flows from him to you. So obviously what he's been called to, you've been called to. And how does that work out? As prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet. What is your calling? Jesus' calling was to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance, who knows what God's work is in salvation. And that's what you've, you're called to. You do that by confessing his name. By saying, this is what Christ has come to do. This is who Christ is. By showing that he is a chief prophet. He's better than all other ideas of man. He is the truth, he is the way, he is the life. He is the one who is the perfect revelation of all of God's grace. And your confession is to proclaim that. There is no other way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And this will be a profound declaration in our day and age. In our day and age, when, when it's reckoned that all religions lead to God, we have to say, no, only Christ leads to God. Because that is how God has designed and revealed him to be 
the only way to the Father. And we have to confess that to the world. This is part of his anointing of you to stand for the truth. But also you have a responsibility as a priest to present yourself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. What a different sacrifice this is. This isn't a sacrifice by which you have to secure his favor. When Christ calls you to take up his cross and follow him, he's not calling you to reconcile you to the Father, to, to offer the ultimate sacrifice so that you can gain the Father's favor. No, he has secured all of that. He asks you to offer a sacrifice of gratitude. That as he has given everything on your behalf, the calling for you to follow as a Christian is to express your gratitude in all things. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And yes, it will mean you have to forgo your pleasures. It will mean you have to forgo uh, some of uh, the world's delicacies. But you do so in gratitude. You offer yourself willingly and faithfully as a living sacrifice. Not when it's convenient. Not when there's a little extra there but in sacrificial devotion to him. We show this with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. We show this in, in the giving of our time and our energy to serve God's people and to serve within the church. We show it in worship as we're called together to come into God's presence with thanksgiving. I've heard of a pastor when, when we recognize the need of thanksgiving, he, he was going off of, of uh, Psalm 100, which says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Just think about that phrase, enter his gates with thanksgiving. If I would have asked you when you came into church this afternoon, are you thankful to be here? Anyone who's not thankful, please leave. Who would remain? Who would remain? Are we thankful just for the, 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 the occasion to come to God in worship? And he has said, not only are you coming to me, but I am coming to you. In Christ, you see, if, if worship is something we, we do with drudgery or with dullness or out of duty, we have to say, are we really representing Christ in that? Oh, but the sacrifice of my time, the calling for my energy, and it does take energy to worship. I acknowledge that. The, the commitment to, to listen to God's word, to learn what he is teaching. It seems heavy, it seems overwhelming, it seems daunting. But think about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross who out of gratitude and glory for the Father was willing to offer himself up as the true living sacrifice. Now, not out of thanksgiving, but out of atonement so that we can be thankful in all circumstances. To present myself to him. That's our priestly service. To present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. And then as king, as king, we share in Christ's anointing as king. As king, he is the eternal ruler who governs us and guards us and keeps us in the freedom he's won. What is our calling? To strive with a good conscience, not a guilty conscience, but with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. To fight the battle, to engage in the war, 
to faithfully follow in this contest. But this is God's design for our life in Christ, that our life will be a contest against the devil and against the old man and against the world. And that as we engage in this, we will show thirdly the contrast for the Christian. The contrast. The contrast. How different this is to the spirit of the age, but also the hostility to the work of Jesus Christ. John alerts us to this when he identifies the antichrists, those who are opposed to Christ. That's what anti means. It means someone who's opposed or something opposite. God's word is clear that when you bear the name of Christian, when you bear the name of Christian, you will face opposition. And some of that opposition will be targeted precisely to your union with Jesus Christ, with your bearing his name, just for the sake of bearing his name, just because you are his and he is yours. Consider how John identifies this contrast in several ways. It's found in the church. It's found in the church from those who walk away from the church. Those who want nothing to do with the church. It's verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Because we recognize as we share in Christ's anointing that this anointing is never individualistic. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. That we're members with his body. And we've been anointed to belong to that body and to belong to Jesus Christ within the body of Christ. That the body and Christ are uniquely bound together. I was thinking about reading, but, but I didn't use it as part of our passage. But you look at 1 Corinthians 12, where, where there's not a, a hand that can say to the foot, because you're not a hand, I don't need you. Or the eye that says to the ear, because you're not an eye, I don't need you. No, we need all sorts within the body of Christ. And there's this blessed diversity that we all have with our personal distinctness and our personal differences. God uses amazingly unique people and he anoints them with the spirit of Christ so that we can live together and function together as the body of Christ. And to abandon that because of the idiosyncrasies of the church of Jesus Christ, because of the weirdness of the people, because you can't get along with them, is to abandon the work of Jesus Christ. Their departure they went out from us because notice they were not of us. They were not of Christ. They weren't part of his body. Verse 20 tells us that they haven't had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But those who are in the body of Christ, who love the body of Christ, who live for the body of Christ, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all the knowledge. Faith and knowledge are part of that name of Christian. You have an anointing from the Father. You can have, but this text also warns us 
It also alerts us to the reality. Now, you can deceive yourself. You can have the name, but not have the identity. There are nominal Christians. Just like as we're looking in Mark, there's nominal Jews. There's people who thought they were so religious and so engaged in the religion of Judaism that they were inalienably God's children. The same happens within the church. People who who say and boast the name of Christian. And yet, they haven't received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They aren't growing in the knowledge of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They aren't thriving in the union that they have with Christ. As we reflect upon this, as we're warned by this, we need to recognize how beautiful is the name, but how urgent it is that we recognize the import of that name. That you, by faith, through the work of the Holy Spirit, with the knowledge of the truth and the anointing of the Holy One, thrive in belonging to Him. John goes on further to to identify some of the contrasts that will be found, and he gives a specific name, Antichrist, a false Christ, or the opposite of Christ, one who is opposed to Christ. And notice his character. He's a liar. He denies. What does he deny? He denies that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, Jesus may be a great man, he says, but the anointed of the Father or the ordained of the Father, the anointed of the Holy Spirit, far be it. He's just like any other man. No, that's wrong. He is the Christ. And anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the gift of the Father, denies Jesus. This has been and will continue to be the undoing of many. They will chase after lies and follow deception because they neglect the anointed of God. But now even as John alerts us to the reality of the Antichrist who will come, who denies the Father and the Son, he says... I've got a greater confidence for you. I've got a greater hope for you. Because you can live and you can thrive and you can survive and you can stand the test as a Christian. With the confidence, the confidence of Jesus' qualifications and yours as a Christian. How? Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That the gospel that saves you, enables you, and equips you, and strengthens you, and sustains you. As you find that your identity is not in yourself, not in your performance, but in what Christ has done for you. As you fulfill your mission and your ministry and your calling from the Father through the Holy Spirit in union with Jesus Christ to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. You share, verse 27, the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And notice how he says it here. I always find it remarkable. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in you. In him. So it's not that they have to forgo teaching, it has to constantly be taught to you. 
But in this way, you continue to abide in him. That is, you abide in Jesus. You abide in Christ under his anointing. And that equips you. And that's why I think it's important to understand the difference between the name of Jesus and the name of Christ. Christ's name as the Messiah means the anointed. Means he's qualified by his calling and his anointing to secure salvation. And this is so important for you. People of God, it is important for you in your witness to the world. As you go out this week to to a world that is despising of Christ, ignorant of Christ, hostile to his word, ignorant of truth. What qualifies you for the task that God has given to you? What qualifies you to be a prophet to confess his name, a priest to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, a king to express your confidence in the overthrow of evil. It's your name that you share with Christ, Christian. This is so important because last week we noted that that Jesus, as a person, was rejected. His person was despised. He was despised by his own family. His brothers and sisters derided him. They said, he's mad. His neighbors and those who, who grew up with him in Nazareth, when he came to preach after his anointing, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Isaiah 53 says he he has no form or comeliness. There's nothing attractive in him that we would be drawn to him personally. He's completely rejected. But perfectly qualified by the Father with the Holy Spirit to be our Savior. His performance was not dependent on popularity or other people's acceptance. And this is so profound for you. The basic qualification that you have for kingdom service, for kingdom mission, for God's calling of you is not your personal ability, not your personal winsomeness. It is your participation in the anointing of the Father. Do you hear what John is saying? You have been perfectly equipped. I write these things to you so that those who are trying to deceive you will be futile in their efforts because you have an anointing that you've received from him. You've been qualified as you bear the name by faith and share in his anointing by faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is that in Jesus Christ, in Christ, you have an anointing to fulfill God's purpose. And this is basic for every believer. Because the reality is, is I have yet 
to meet a Christian who feels perfectly adequate for the task that God has set for us. Confess his name. Sometimes I'm embarrassed to own his name. Present myself as a living sacrifice. I could see the smirks on your faces when I asked if you came here in gratitude to worship. How frequently we don't. I am so personally inadequate to this task. Personally, yes. Just like Jesus personally was inadequate to be the Savior. But that never stops the Father's design and God's accomplishment of His purpose and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is an anointing from God which cannot and will not be revoked. It will be attacked. It will be undermined. And it will seek to be overthrown. You will try and be deceived out of it by all the world has to offer. But God's word says, as you understand what Christ is for you, and as you are united to him in faith, you share in his anointing. God says, God says, you're qualified for the task. Because you have the office of believer. How profound is that? Listen to what Paul says from prison in Rome because he was confident of the work of God through the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. John says it. You're going to face the Antichrist. But you know what? Through Christ's anointing, you'll overcome him. No problem. Paul, imprisoned in Rome, says to the church as part of his concluding word, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You have to face Satan. And you can do so confident of the name of Christ. But there's another implication, and I'd like to close with that this morning. That relates to our life in the church particularly with the office of elder and deacon. And they are called. The basic office, the, the essential office within the church is the office of believer, a special office. It's not a higher place. It's actually a place of service. Is the office of elder and deacon. And sometimes we, we, we are at personal odds with our elder or our deacon or our pastor. And they just seem to rub us up the wrong way. And God says, but do you regard their office for the sake of Christ? Will you receive them because of their qualifications? That they've been called by God, ordained by the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit. Yes, but personally we can't get on. You know what? You wouldn't get on with Christ personally. None of us would have. Let's quit pretending that we would. The disciples, after having been with him for three years, could not fathom who he was and commit themselves to him. But when you have the Holy Spirit, they were willing to stand for him, to share in his anointing, and to see the work of Jesus Christ. And when we have that qualification awareness in our lives. 
it will overthrow all opposition. Not because of our personal ability, but because of the Father's qualifications of us. Because you have the name of Christ. Amen.